Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Grace Wins Every Time by Pastor Elizabeth Rod. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can assemble here in your house. We thank you, Lord, that uh, every week you extend an invitation to us to just bask in your wonderful mercy, your grace, the, the love that you have for we, your adopted children, and that you do give us this amazing book, this book that is just brimming with life. It is brimming with wonderful examples of those who have walked before us. And uh, Lord, as we, as we uh, open that word today, Lord, I pray that you would give me all the revelation that I need to be able to share what it is that you've put on my heart. Lord, we never take uh, our adoption as your children lightly. We should never take the, our uh, beautiful gift of grace as something that is just an entitlement. It is a privilege as it is to be in your presence and to be your servant today. So, Lord, as we open up the word today, I pray that you would just reveal another facet of your amazing love for us and that we would go home enriched knowing that we are your children and that, Lord, not only can we feel that way, but we can have a desire to see others adopted into this wonderful family of God. Amen. Okay. As you can see, I've entitled this Grace Wins Every Time. I wish I could say I was clever enough to have thought of that, but I didn't. It's actually the title of a song, not from the book of Matthew, but from the album by Matthew West. Um, you know, one of the things that I have got into the habit of, uh, particularly in the time that we couldn't meet for church and we were having home church, is that I would spend a lot more time with worship music at home because I was home a lot more, working from home. I took advantage of the fact that um, Matthew West um, is someone whose music I really enjoy. I'm, I'm a lyrics girl, you know. It's not about the artist, the gender of the artist, the style of music. I listen to the lyrics. And I thought, you know, isn't that just like God? He wants his grace and his mercy to win in our lives all the time. He wants us to succeed in the purpose that he has for us. He, you know, he hasn't got uh, children that he says, you sit over here, you're on the bench. Every one of his children has a God-given purpose. And sometimes we forget that without everybody doing what they're called to do, that we are not the complete whole that we can be as the body of Christ. So let's go. Let's go, for better or worse, as they say. I've been reading quite a lot about grace this week because this was the, the title of my sermon. And uh, Max Licardo is a writer who writes a lot about grace. One of his most recent books is called In the Grip of Grace. And he says, grace is the voice that calls us to change, but then gives us the, the power to pull it off. And I thought that, I thought, you know, grace is the gift we can't give. You know, they say, oh, there are advertisements that say it's the gift you give yourself. Well, grace is not one of those. It is a gift and it is from God. Uh, just like grandchildren, I meant to mention this, being a grandmother. Apparently today is Grandparents Day. I'll get that out of the way before I forget. So happy Grandparents Day. We are an awesome breed. Okay, self-plug over. We're moving along. You know, grace is something, we, we sang about it this morning. We read about it. We nod in agreement. We all love grace. We love to receive grace. But sometimes I think we miss the unique power of grace. We, you know, because it is something that we have, that we possess, that we can call upon, sometimes we just forget 
about what an amazing thing it was that God actually pursued us. I know he did with me. You know, I went through a time in my life, and it wasn't that I didn't believe, but there was a time in my life where I was really restless. And as my dear pastor at the time, my senior pastor at the time said, she said, Liz, it's about time the Holy Spirit's been really hunting you down. And I said to her, well, let's get on with it. I thought, I am tired of the chase. I want to just be, I'm in. You know, um, yeah, we can be sceptical about things that are so freely given as grace is. We can be prideful. We can not want to get involved in something that might require us to give something back. But you know what? Grace is the link between God's heart and ours. And without that, we don't have that wonderful connection. Grace changes everything and it brings reformation. You know, that's the word we've been talking about. You know, Pastor Sean says, we don't want to be revived because sometimes when someone is revived, they're not, they're not quite as good as they could be. They can be damaged. We want to be reformed. We want to be the new creation. We want to be that, that church that talks about grace, that enjoys grace, that is joyful in our grace so that we can offer it to other people and tell them where they can find it in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, it's more than just doing church. You know, we, when we come to church, we, it means that we've got to deal with each other. And we're a messy lot, aren't we? You know, many, many years ago, I think it was in the 60s, a gentleman who had come as a migrant after the war to Australia, he wrote a book called They're a Weird Mob. They made a, they made a movie out of it. I'm showing my age now. I was never allowed to watch it, so I take it there were bits in there my mum didn't think were appropriate. But I remember seeing the cover of the book. And uh, I thought, you know, he's, that's right. You know, for somebody coming in from another place, we are a bit of a weird lot. We're a bit messy. You know, sometimes we're a bit tattered around the edges, but you know what? God doesn't care. He wants you as you are because you're you. You know, uh, Matthew West sings another a song, and I'm, I'm sorry that there are so many musical references, but the, the, some of these really hit me. And, you know, he talks about, a, it's a song called Nobody, and it goes like this. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery all my life. I've been told I belong at the other end of the line with all the other not-quites, with all the other never-get-it-rights. But it turns out that they were the ones you were looking for all the time. Count me in. Because I'm trying to tell... I'm, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave me a heart... It gave my heart a song to sing, and I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I don't know about you, but that did it for me. As I said, I'm a lyrics girl. You know, Philip Yancey also wrote quite extensively about grace, and he, he records in his book what's so amazing about grace that so there were a whole lot of religious leaders all gathered at a conference in Brisbane, I'm in Brisbane, in Britain. And, uh, you know, they wanted to discuss what made Christianity unique. They were comparing it with a lot of religions, and especially ones that had newly emerged. And some of the others that had gods with small g uh, said that, you know, that they had gods who had appeared in human form. They even said that there were testimonies of people that were raised from the dead. Now, C.S. Lewis arrived partway through the discussion, so I take it he doesn't set his alarm clock, and he says, what's all the rumpus about? And when he was told that they were trying to identify Christianity's unique contribution amongst world religions, he said in one sentence, that's easy, it's grace. 
You know, Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 3.23, in case you're thinking you don't fall into that category, I'm, I'm happy to count myself in. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I'm not telling you anything new. We talk about these scriptures all the time. But what I love is, if we could have the next slide, please. Uh, God has a tendency of picking up a nobody to become a somebody in front of everybody without asking anybody. In other words, he's not really interested in your or my opinion about who deserves grace. He's, He's an equal opportunity grace God. And so if he created you, he is looking for the opportunity to be able to extend grace into your life. Mark Lowry, another gospel singer, I'm really having a musical interlude here, aren't I? He said that God handles grace like a four-year-old spreads peanut butter. He gets it everywhere. You're getting a bit of my quirky sense of humour, so you've got to put up with the things that appeal to me today. You know, Jesus had parables that talked about people that other people didn't think deserved grace. He had personal encounters with people that in Jewish culture, they thought that they were people who should be definitely not even seen or heard. You know, he outraged Jewish society. They thought he was scandalous. He caused so much angst amongst the religious leaders of the day because they just didn't get him. They just didn't get that if you didn't keep the rules that you could still have God wanting you. You know, he was often challenged about who he hung around with, who he bestowed grace on, because but the God-man made these people the intentional targets of his grace. And that's what we love about him. In Matthew West's song, Grace Wins Every Time, he mentions the prodigal son. Uh, and it says, Grace Wins, Luke 15. He mentions the woman at the well, and he says, Grace Wins, John 4. He, sa- he talks about the blind man in the beggar, and he says, Grace Wins, Luke 18. He says, for the worst part of you and me, grace wins. No, no scripture, you've got your own. For a world that is lost, grace wins, Luke 19, 10. One encounter with Jesus, the good shepherd, transformed the lives of so many people and many of them went on to do what we're meant to do, to tell everybody about that somebody that had changed their life. If you want to take it back to scripture, in in, uh, Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was us. We were lost. You didn't even know, did you? Did you know you were lost? There are people out there who still don't know, you know, that we're lost. You know, he says in his song, In my weakest moment... I see you, this is talking about people, the disapproval of people. In my weakest moment, I see you shaking your head in disgrace. I can read disappointment all over your face because so often we think as human beings that we're not making it, that other people are judging us. But you know whose opinion matters? The one who created us. Okay, moving right along. Uh, Max Licardo also says in his book on grace that God does uncommon things through common people in common places. Why common places? Because, you know, really, that's where we are. We've got to hit the ground. It's no point us sitting in an ivory tower. I went to a very old-fashioned church for the first time and you know how they had the box up in the corner? The priest would preach up there so he could look down 
And I thought, well, apart from the fact that it probably was quite comfortable because you got to sit, I'm assuming there's a seat there, I thought I couldn't see much point in that. Uh, You know, the unconditional love of God is how grace is described. It's described as unmerited favour and unmerited love that God gives us. We look at acronyms such as given righteousness at Christ's expense. You know, Max Licardo, you can tell I've done some reading, or I hope you can this week. He says there's a difference between grace and mercy. Mercy is God's decision not to punish us, but grace is the decision of God to save us and to bless us. He just doesn't want to pull you out of the miry clay. He wants you to remould you into the magnificent image of his son. And I don't know about you, that's, that's a big call. You know, he says that God answers the mess of life with one word, grace. He says grace is more than we, more than we deserve and greater than we can imagine. You know, uh, it's, can we have the next slide, please? You know, and there it is, sorry, there. And it says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is, it is his, sorry, I can't read properly from here. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We can't t- take any credit for grace. We received an invitation. The only thing we can probably take any credit for is that we had the good sense to say yes. And for some of us, believe me, including myself, it took a while to say yes. A.W. Tozer says that no man is ever the same after God has laid his hand upon him. For the one desperate for grace, for the one who receives it and its effect can be immediate and grace will do its work, which means we have to open ourselves up you know, there's some good stuff that we can have, but we don't want to. You know, even this morning, my prayer coming here, and I'd forgotten I've included it in there, uh, that is my grace is sufficient for you because I haven't got any power. I haven't got any capability to be standing up here. I actually quite often think of what, what Matthew West says. Why did you pick me, God? I can only think that he's got a marvellous sense of humour <laughs> and he's chosen to exhibit it in the person of Elizabeth Rod. You know, today I want to talk to you about the inventor of the first tax refund. You like him? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. So if you've got your devices, your Bible, whatever with you, can you open up, please, as I am, to Luke 19. Now, I'm a bit of a history buff. You know that. I like to know all the ins and outs, and I like the way Luke reports, but as it would happen, this particular encounter with Jesus, and this isn't a parable, this is actually someone that Jesus encountered, someone that Jesus transformed, and and so I really like the fact that I automatically went to Luke because I like his historical um, methods in the way he records things. And so we'll start as we do. Uh, Verse 1, it says that Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was one of the most influential Jews. I'm reading from the NLT, so it's a bit different in yours, I'm sorry. In the Roman tax... Sorry, he was one of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax collecting business. And he had become very rich. Now, I don't know about you, but if I get a letter from the ATO, I start to shake at the knees. We've got a business and I'm the one who has to do the recording. By default, I might add... Because my husband just says, it's your job. And, you know, once we were audited, the gentleman who was the auditor, it was the very first quarter in the first year for uh, GST. 
I knew nothing about it. I don't have an accounting background. I don't want an accounting background. I don't like handling money. I don't like having to report on money. So can you imagine when we were asked to be, you know, or told we were going to be audited, and he comes through the door and he says, I've got handcuffs in my bag. Is there anything you want to tell me now? (laughs) I had been to the seminar that these lovely young people from the ATO came out, and I'm thinking, oh, I hope I've got it right. Because as I said, it was the very first quarter. You know, so if you're going to stuff up, and let's face it, when you're not good with you know, record-keeping or whatever, if it was ever going to be a blue, it was going to be in that first quarter, in that first year. So, you know, this diminutive man had all the power. And I thought, whoa, he says, do you want to delve in anyone else? No, no, just let me survive this, please. You know, so as I said, um, tax, tax people are not always on our top 10 list of people that we want to invite home for a meal. Uh, And he came at his own invitation, believe me. And I said to him at the end of it, after I'd survived the audit, uh, I said, well, what does this mean? He says, it means I'm not going to arrest you and I probably won't bother you again. Yes. (laughs) But anyway, back in, in Jesus' time, tax collectors were extremely unpopular. You know, they not only lined their own pockets because they were all cosied up to the Roman occupiers, of um, the Jewish territory. They were people who took the money from the people. They would load it up and take more for for their own wealth. And the Romans would let them do this because, of course, these guys were Jewish people who were prepared to do their dirty work. And, you know, they were the occupying forces. So all this money that they're taking off the people, the people that are living in their oppression under their control, they're feeding it back into the very armies and the occupying forces who were going to actually keep the people under their thumb. So you can imagine that Zacchaeus is not, sorry, Zacchaeus, I never know quite how to pronounce it, but anyway, um, you know, he was one of my favourite characters when we were talking to the kids in Sunday school because he's the guy that everyone likes to hate. You know, uh, Jericho at that time was a bustling metropolis. It's about 16 uh, miles outside Jerusalem and Jesus is making his way back to Jerusalem for the first time and there we know he's going to be arrested, he's going to be tried and ultimately crucified. You know, it's a prosperous place, tree-lined, beautiful big sycamore trees uh, lining the avenues and it was somewhere where the armies used to use it as a main thoroughfare pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem and merchants. So it was a great place to tax people. There were tolls to be collected, there were taxes, every opportunity to be able to make money out of the people. Um, The tax collectors were part of that system. It's the home of our bad guy. You know, he's wealthy, he's influential, he's powerful, but he was very much disliked, and I say that, probably even hated by his own people. He, you know, tax collectors were despised. They were considered ritually unclean. No one wanted them in the synagogue sitting next to them. They were outcasts of Jewish society and they were considered traitors. They, the people thought that they, particularly the zealots, you know, the people who had all these aspirations of overthrowing uh, their Roman occupiers, uh, they would have seen these guys as someone you'd have been happy to knife in a dark alley. Yeah, but Zacchaeus had become very rich and he had heard about this amazing rabbi, this Jesus. 
he had heard about him and he wanted to get a look at him. Now, I don't necessarily think that he had any great spiritual desire because, you know, really living as a fairly corrupt man, he probably wasn't all that keen for Jesus to see him, but he wanted to get a look at Jesus. So as we know from our Sunday school days, you know, even the song we sing, he's a wee little man, a short little man, no doubt beautifully dressed. If he's wealthy and got all the the cash, he's probably got, you know, this amazing wardrobe of, of clothes that actually reflect his wealth. So what does he do? He knows no one in the crowd is going to say, oh, you know, you're a good guy. Come to the front so you can see Jesus. I'll make way for you. Not a chance. And as I said, he probably thought there might be somebody in there that was going to actually even attack him. So what does he do? He runs ahead. So if we come back and we have a look, it says in in verse 3, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but was too short to see over the crowds. So he ran ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree beside the road so he could watch from there. Now, can you imagine this little guy, and of course in the ostentatious robes of a wealthy man, he's racing, which Middle Eastern men did not do. That, you know, here he is racing ahead, trying to get ahead of the crowd. He's climbing the tree. It would have been an interesting picture. See, again, I'm a visual person. So I see, you know, this man trying to scale the tree. Now, sycamore trees are very leafy. And so what he was probably hoping to do was to get up there, get a view of Jesus, but not be seen by the crowd who don't like him and probably not to be seen by Jesus because he knows enough about Jesus by now to know that this guy is really different and he's probably got x-ray vision because he's a superman. You know, Pastor Sean mentioned about how our mission is to move people from the crowd to the committed, to the core. Well, this guy didn't even qualify to be part of the crowd. He was definitely on the outer. Uh, You know, he, he runs ahead and, as I said, he climbs the tree. He's so desperate just to gain a vantage point. All dignity goes out the window and there he is, He thinks he's safe. He thinks, I can see, but no one can see me. So all of a sudden, we come along and we see in verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. And he not only called him by name, he says, come down, I'm going to come and be a guest in your home today. That's paraphrased. So, you know, not only is this man now exposed, but he has to decide you know, if, if he, I take Jesus home, see, for me, I'd be thinking, did I put the laundry I folded away? You know, are there dishes in the sink? But that's not his biggest problem. His opulent lifestyle would be very much, think about it. You know, this guy is an accumulator. Wealth, possessions and being somebody are his God or have been up to this point. So all of a sudden, here is the God man, the rabbi that everybody's talking about, that does miracles, that changes lives, He wants to come home to my house. Whoops. Here we go. But, you know, Zacchaeus is, this is a divine appointment, obviously. So he says, you know, quick, come down, for I must be a guest in your home today. You know, Jesus knows that he's coming to the end of his ministry, but he's not stopped working. You know, we are meant to be out there doing the work of God and you know, telling people about the good news, the grace that can be theirs, right up to our dying breath. There's no age, you know, at which we're supposed to stop. This is our job to be able to do this. And Jesus knows, even though he's drawing to the end of his ministry, the end of his time on earth, he's going to get this guy. 
And I wonder if this man even knew. You know, so he does, this is scandalous. Can you imagine all the people who have actually wanted to come, that wanted to hear Jesus speak, all of a sudden, who does he pick to go home? He doesn't pick the local rabbi. He doesn't pick the mayor of the town. He doesn't pick somebody who's important. He picks a sinner. How disgusting. What a terrible thing to do. It could be because it's part of Jesus' mission, do you think? And so, you know, all of a sudden, we have this encounter. But you know what? It is life-changing. Zacchaeus is all of a sudden going to become a whole different man. And, he's, you know, he stood there and he says in verse 8, he says, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if, I, I like that bit, there's, you've got to hold back a little bit when you're a new Christian, haven't you? And if I have overcharged people on their taxes, I will give it back four times as much. Now, Jesus' response is that this man is now saved. He's restored. He's restored to who he was. You know, he's an outcast. You know, the Jews don't want him as one of them. But what does Jesus say in verse 9? He says, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham. That's Jesus' way of saying, take him back into your bosom. He's saying to the people who can hear that this man is somebody that you need to count now as one of your own because I have made it so. In one sentence, Jesus lifts the sentence of being an outcast from his people and he announces him to be the son of Abraham. And not only that, but the whole household receive salvation. Gee, I wish he'd come and do that at my place. Save me a lot of trouble, a lot of hinting. You know, why would uh, God give this, this corrupt man, why would he give him grace? We don't get to decide. God knows we're sinners. He knows we mess up. He knows we want to be obedient and, and live a good life. But he knows that we can't do it on our own. Even so, he still wants us. Isn't that remarkable? I remember many weeks ago, Pastor Sean really touched me. He was talking about uh, the foster mother that he ended up with. And in the end, she said, leave him here. And what he said was, she wanted me. That's how God feels about every one of you. We've all had a different journey. We've all had a different walk. You know, some of us grew up in Christian families. Some of us didn't. Some of us were resistant and stubborn. Some of us were prideful. Some of us had done some stuff that we're not particularly, you know, we'd prefer people to not know about. But God wants us all the same. And that's what's so remarkable about us. You know, God sent his son to pay for our sins through his death on a cross. Even though we are sinners and we've done absolutely nothing to deserve it, he freely gives us grace simply because he loves us. Being saved by grace means that we've received a gift from God that we cannot, we did not deserve. And because of his son, we have his favour. Despite the fact that we've done nothing to earn it, despite the fact that our lives can be messy. You know, John Piper says, grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift and power of God not to sin. God, grace is power, not just a pardon. You know, it, but on the other hand, too, I don't want to be one of those preachers that says to you that grace means that you can, you know, go out there and just carry on as you did. I, we have electricity in our homes, but it's not actually a licence to electrocute yourself, not unless you're doing some of the few repairs you shouldn't be. And grace is the same. We've been given it, 
but we do have to respect it. Can we have the last slide, please, guys? You know, 2020 has been an interesting year, and we've seen all the things that in our world could be shaken have been shaken up. There's no two ways about it. But there's one thing that is unshakable, and that is the kingdom of God. Brendan Manning, and he's a man that's fallen from grace more recently, I believe, so I'm, I'm going out on a limb here to use one of his quotes. He's an ex-Catholic priest. He left the church to get married, but he struggled with alcohol issues all his life. He wrote a couple of books, one of which was called The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus and Reflections for the Ragamuffin Gospel. And he says, God is not moody or capricious. He shows no season of change. He has a single, relentless stance toward us, the only God who man has ever heard of that loves sinners. You know, in Hebrews 12, 15, there is a message that really resonated with me, and it says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. Now, how do we do that? It's not our gift to give. But we are here so that we can let people know about Jesus and have that encounter. I don't know if you remember, but uh, a couple of years ago, we all oohed and aahed about uh, I Can Only Imagine, the movie. Anyone see that? Anyone love the song, I Can Only Imagine? You know, that was a story about a man who had a great musical gift, Grant Millard. You know, he, 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 had, he didn't know he had that great gift until he was forced into the school musical, and he had a teacher that wouldn't let him back off to once she discovered that he had that gift. You know, he goes on the road as a roadie, he finds out, or they discover he can sing, but the band just cannot make it, even though they've got this great gift. They write great songs. They're a wonderful Christian band. But there's one thing that stops this man from achieving the success or the making the impact on the world that he, he wanted to have with his music. His father is a, a very difficult man. You know, he's been an abusive alcoholic. He's been someone who has driven uh, uh, the young uh, man's... Sorry, it's Bart, isn't it? I said Grant, didn't I? Sorry. Bart Millard, I just realised that. You know why? Because I actually know a Grant Millard. That's not helping me. But, you know, Bart, as a child, was very much at the mercy of this, this man. His mother leaves. She drops him off at a, a Christian um, camp... And there he, he finds out about Jesus and he finds out about all sorts of things that his world didn't allow him to learn about. But she doesn't come back. His mother's gone. She's left the marriage. She's left him. And his father was angry before. He's even angrier. So as Bart grows up, every relationship that he has is tainted with his, the bitterness that's left. It's, taken, it's put a root in his heart that has somehow corrupted everything good that God's trying to do. Now, eventually, he comes back and he discovers his father, Arthur, a changed man. Arthur has found Jesus, or Jesus has found Arthur, whichever way you want to look at it, but it happened. Now, he doesn't want to give his father grace. He's not happy about it. A little bit like Jonah, you know, with the people of Nineveh. He, he gets really cranky, you know. He go, eventually, after a lot of disobedience, he goes... And, and he tells Nineveh all about God's plan for them. But then he goes out and he sits there and he sulks because he's not happy. Why? You know, I, don't, I personally don't think they deserve grace. Have you had people in your life like that? I have. I've had people who have hurt me really terribly, especially in my younger years. 
And if I was in charge of Brace, they probably wouldn't have received it. Thank goodness God has changed me and matured me, and, and now I can pray for them. But, you know, the whole thing is, um, and, and, you know, what, what prompted me to share Bart's story, because once he comes back and he, he does actually end up forgiving his father, his father ultimately dies of cancer because he's very unwell, and he writes, I can only imagine. It is the catalyst, it is the song that takes him from where he wanted to be with his wonderful musical gift. And it sets him free because God's power is tied up in him giving grace to his father. And so when Arthur eventually passes on, not only has God restored that relationship, but he's restored not only Arthur by his grace, he's actually restored Bart and set him free. And Bart ultimately goes on and he has great success and we get to enjoy the wonderful music of Mercy Me, which I am grateful for. Max Licardo says, again, grace is more than we deserve and greater than we can imagine. Okie dokie. So a picture of grace. What does grace look like? You're standing before a judge who has a huge list of crimes you have committed that are all punishable by death. There is someone in the crowd who promises to take your punishment of death and you will be given a clean slate. The result is you don't get what you deserve, and that is what Jesus has done for us. But all you need to do is accept that clean slate. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? And yet I've sat with people, even even on their, their deathbed, I have sat with people and wanted to share about my God, my Jesus, who wants to set them free. You know, they are literally in God's waiting room. And they're either going out the exit or they've got the door open for them to come in. And some of them say no. And others, to my great joy, in those final moments when they take their last breath, they have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. You know, a pastor was telling me um, just recently that they had someone visit their church because they belonged to a larger church and the services weren't up and running and they said, uh, came and said later, oh, we really liked the message, thank you. We really love the community, but there's someone here I don't like, so we won't be back. And I thought, isn't that like the older brother in the prodigal son? You know, the prodigal son comes home, dad welcomes him. He says, you know, um, you know put the ring on his finger, the robe, let's, let's, you know, kill the fatted calf, let's do it. And his brother goes, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. So something I've got to tell you, grace isn't there because it's God's gift to give out. Um, Let me go back. Yeah, like the disgruntled crowd in in, uh, Zacchaeus' story, uh, you know, they they didn't think that this man deserved to have Jesus come to their house. And, you know, like the Pharisee up here in uh, verse 18, you know, he stands praying this to himself, but I'm sure he's praying out loud. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay all my tithes. In other words, I'm a great guy. I'm a great guy. And and here over in the corner in Luke 18 is the tax collector repenting his heart out with his face covered because he he feels that he's not worthy of the glory of God. And I... Sometimes people just miss it. You know, Darling Czech, who we know from Hillsong Music, I really am on a musical bent. I'm sorry, I didn't realise how much. She says, the greatest two days of your life 
are the day you were born and the day you find out what your purpose is all about. Purpose is in life is far more than property, status or possessions, and it, or having to live with any other substitute is just not going to cut it. You know, you have been called by God's grace, by his mercy, for a purpose. And it's not just to decorate whichever particular row you've decided is your, you know, your seat in the church. You know, the one you mark with an X, and if anyone sits on it, we come and we stand. Oh, is that my seat? <laughs> you know, we all, we all go to our, our default positions, don't we? But that's not what you're here for. You are called to a purpose. And it involves more than just coming to church. Real purpose is about involving other people in an encounter with Jesus. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not this. I'm not that. Because you live. You live in the grace that you've received. And as Philip Yancey says, you become a dispenser of grace. Now, just like our hand sanitizer, you push the button down and out it comes. Unless, of course, you're at my place and no one filled it. But that's okay. But you know what? There are some things, I think, that can block grace. And I've listed just a few, and this is not to be condemning. This is a little bit of a self-revelation type journey for myself, really. You know, uh, last week Mark shared about man's approach to living purpose. We can be distracted. You know, self-interest, enjoying good health, the best things for you, full potential, career success, your interest, what you like to be entertained by, trying new things. That can take up space that belongs to God. Kate spoke, uh, and I love this, Kate, thank you, I'm going to steal it, about another try in Godhead, me, myself and I. You know, that, that's, um, there, there's no um, copyright on that, I hope. Thank you. Thank you. I was going to say, she's not going to take me to court later. Colossians 1.16 in the Message Bible says, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, got started in him and finds its purpose in him. You know, the other thing that can get in the way are our own opinions. And I'm going to quote uh, something um, Rory Jensen, who was my senior pastor when I was ordained, so you know where to send the complaints there. She says, opinions are like wheelie bins. Everyone has one and most of them stink. Stay with me. She was a fairly plainly spoken lady. You know, we're all been moulded. We've all been influenced by, you know, the good things in our life, the bad things. We've all got bruises. We've all got scars. We've all got things that, you know, show that we've been bumped around a little bit on the way. And we can be very opinionated. We can be very, uh, you know, um, how many times have you heard someone say, it's never going to happen to me again, you know. I'm going to build a wall. I'm going to, you know, that person's not going to have another opportunity. And if somebody says something or even resembles that, that other person, the wall goes up and all of a sudden an offence can uh, take its very bitter root. You know, we, we, God's timing, not mine. It's God's will, not mine. It's God's plan, not mine. God's glory, not mine. You know, another thing that can get in the way is fear of failure or who we want to impress. Now, I like to be liked. And, you know, it, it isn't nice when somebody doesn't approve of you or doesn't like you. But you know what? Again, I've learnt that really, you know, we, we had something this morning about, you know, being a good and faithful. I think one of the songs we had that in the film clip was talking about being a, yeah, a good and faithful servant. 
Galatians 1.10 says, and Paul, this is Paul saying, I'm obviously not going to flatter you or water down my message to be popular with men, but my supreme passion is to please God. For if all I attempt to do is to please people, I would not be the true servant of the Messiah. Do you know, even your joy can irritate people. Have you ever bounced in and been all happy and somebody who's not having a good day just gets out their bow and arrow and they put a hole in your balloon? You know, they want to rain on your parade because they're not happy. Misery likes company. So sometimes just being full of the joy of the Lord, you're going to rub people up the wrong way. You know, it says in Proverbs 29, 25, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Now, I'm going to tell you about another incident, and I'll start winding this up then. Um, You know, we're told not to judge other people. In my heyday, before I became, I would say, a committed Christian, and some of you probably think I should be committed, and that's okay too. You've probably judged me that way. I look good in white, so the jacket will look okay. But, uh, you know, uh, we had a very long time ago in a church I was in, I was nominated as the lucky person to go and talk to a lady who had become offended. Uh, How I got that job, I'm not quite sure, but they said, she'll talk to you. So off I went. Anyway, uh, I arrived with great trepidation and, you know, praying all the way, God, give me wisdom not to actually make this situation worse. I've got size 10 feet and both of them do fit in my mouth on occasion. So I'm thinking, you know, you're going to have to really give me some discernment about when to let her speak and when to offer something that I hope was going to pour oil on troubled waters. Now, to my great surprise, she got out a notebook. So you need stationery to judge other people. You know, forget the log in your eye, you know, the speck. Some of us have got a ruler because that way we can really measure how bad other people are. Uh, But she got out a notebook, an exercise book, and she had written down every time one of the pastors in the church had failed her expectations. It was my sister's dog's cat's funeral and no one from the church turned up at the funeral. She had a list. And, you know, I wasn't angry I wasn't even shocked. I was just so sad. This lady was a mature Christian, and I'm thinking, what ever happened, you know, not keeping a record of wrongs? She had actually written down all these things, and I was really sad for her because I thought, you know, come on. Anyway, we ended as friends, but she didn't come back to the church, so I'm a failure. Okay, let's get that out of the way. You know, we're not to think too highly of ourselves. You know, James 4, 6 says, but the grace of God is even stronger. And scripture says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know, we need to be the people who will welcome those who God is going to choose to actually give his gift of grace. We can't judge who deserves it. We can't let our opinions get in the way. We can't do anything except be who we're meant to be, and that is someone who welcomes them in. Micah 6.8 tells us what we should do. We are to act justly, to love mercy. Now remember, what's mercy? It's something we don't deserve, something God's decided to give us, and to walk humbly before your God. You know, we can't let the bitterness and the offence and resentment of our own 
experiences get in the way of what God wants to do. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, I don't know about you, but I like the fact that I can be forgiven when I stuff up. Is that, are we allowed to say that? Are we allowed to say that? You know, uh, one more example, and this is the last one, I promise. The trouble is, because I'm a researcher, you're going to get it all. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, a practising Hindu, was investigating Christianity once. He was a student of many religions, but he was so impressed by Jesus that one Sunday he decided he wanted to go to a church in Calcutta. As he entered the church, he was stopped by the door greeters. Notice I say stopped. He wasn't greeted. He was stopped by the door greeters, and they told him that he was not welcome as the church was only for high-caste Indians and whites only. He was neither. He was rejected by that church. And so he turned his back not only on the church, not only on the people, but on Christianity. When asked about Christianity later when he rose to power, he said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so so unlike your Christ. You know, if we're going to invite people who are on the, the fringes, on the crowd, to become part of the committed, to meet Jesus as you and I have had the privilege of doing it. We don't want to be those people who stop people at the door. Jesus is our example of humility. He's our pin-up boy, if you like. And, you know, lots of us have mission statements to know Christ, to make him known. To make him known. He was a foot-washing, sinner-loving saviour. He came to earth, he lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death on a cross, also that we could know the truth of God's love and be washed clean by his blood. And you know what? All it takes is just to believe. I'm going to close in prayer now, but I want to open up the altar. And, you know, there are are things that I've had to journey through in my own life. You know, uh, my first marriage was a disaster, an absolute disaster. My husband was abusive, both verbally and physically, and it took me a long time not to feel bitter. It took me a long time to want to extend grace. Now, do you know I pray for that man every single day? I don't know where he's at with God. I met him at a youth group. But, you know, the thing is, it's taken me a long, long time to actually not have my opinion of him and the way he treated me, but to actually have a heart that really wanted, wants to see him have what I've been given, and that's the gift of God's grace. I don't know if you have people that you've, you know, rubbed you up the wrong way, hurt your feelings, offended you, you feel bitter about, you feel like you don't want them to sit in church with you. I don't know. But, you know, if you've got business with God today, the altar will be open. If you don't know God, if you've never given your heart to the Lord and you want to know the Jesus who loves people where they're at, he's not going to leave you that way. I'll give you a warning. He's not going to leave you as you are. But he wants to come in and he doesn't just want to revive the life you've got. He wants to actually transform your life so that you can get to know his dad, so that you can have a place in heaven. 
So let's, let's pray. Let's close in prayer. And then we're going to open the altar. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that um, I can only speak for myself, but I know, Lord, that you are just transforming my life, Lord, that now I see things through a different perspective. I thank you, Lord, that, that once my opinion, my judgment, everything that stood in the way, Lord, of being able to see your heart, you're slowly peeling it away, just like the, the, uh, the layers on an onion. And, Lord, I thank you that now, now because we walk in your grace, because we have received your grace, because we are like Zacchaeus, a man once who was so lost, Lord, that when you came, Lord, your, your mission statement, if you like, was to seek and save that that was lost. Well, Lord, I thank you. I know when I was lost, lost in my own world, Lord, lost in my own thoughts about how to live my life, you came and you rescued me. And for that, Lord, I thank you. I pray that today, Lord, that there are others who need to do a little bit of self-examination, perhaps just come out and just allow God to wash over them. Lord, today that they would come. I pray that as our praise and worship team might return and just play something gently for us in the background, Lord, that as we come to your throne of grace, that we would look to you and allow you to do the transforming work. We want to be clay in your hands, Lord, on the potter's wheel. And we want to give you thanks, Lord, that you are making us become the people that we can be, that our lives can be a living testimony to the one who has saved us all, your son, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.